Hey guys, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, where I interview the absolute best health and wellness practitioners from across the globe to show you what they do so you can do it too. This is because, like you, I did not always feel that health was easy. I had tried different diets, exercise plans, but often felt misled by an industry that really thrives on you not getting healthy and always spending money on the next new thing. Because of this, I'm getting bare naked on health and pulling back the curtain to show you that being truly healthy is simple. Wherever you are in your health journey, I want to show you that with minimal effort, you can get maximum results and do what you love. Play with your kids, go for a hike, and crush it in your business all while feeling great. To give a kickstart, I encourage you to go over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to access my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and that the show is really sponsored by you guys. Each of you that works with me that I am able to take on as a client helps me to be able to keep putting out these podcasts for free. So I just want to thank you, each of you, for your love and support. Hey guys, I'm your host, Nick Horowski, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, episode number 80. In today's episode, I interview social worker and creativity master, Mark Tiano. Be sure to stick around for the end of the show to find out what Mark's biggest competition is with himself, drawings of half-human, half-animal creatures, as well as the holistic aspect of social work. Guys, welcome to another episode of the Bare Naked Help Podcast. And on the line today, I have one of my best friends, one of my college buddies, Mark Tiano. Mark, first What's question up, guys? I ask everybody. <laughs> first question I ask everybody who comes on the show is, tell us about your health journey in 10 sentences or less. Okay. And first of all, this is a really cool question. I love it when you do this on, on the opening of all your podcasts. I don't well, know about you. my health journey. I don't know about my health journey, but I can tell you about like my first interaction with kind of learning the benefits of improving your health. And it was just, um, I guess I was in seventh grade and I, like, 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 like you, I played a lot of sports and stuff like that. And I was just really overweight. Um, I love sports, but I, I wasn't, I was, I was just not in the physical condition to do well any, at anything. Didn't feel great about myself didn't have a lot of friends and it kind of like came to a head in seventh grade where I whereas I, I didn't I didn't make the hockey team that I had tried at for the middle school hockey team and being from Massachusetts it, that's a really big deal right Massachusetts, <laughs> Massachusetts along with um, maybe Michigan and um, a couple a couple other states is like a mecca of hockey in the US and that right. was a big deal for me and um, so I just spent the next year just, like, working out. I, I had never worked out before. So I jumped on. I was in seventh grade, and I snuck into the eighth grade. Um, at our middle school, we had eighth grade weightlifting classes. And I would sneak into those after school, work out with kids. I, I, I just started, like, I didn't, know, I didn't know what I was doing. I obviously was not an expert at anything. But I was just like, <laughs> let's pick up some weights and see what happens. And I did, like every day. I went bananas. And a year later, I, 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 actually, I didn't just make the hockey team, but I was, I, I was a starter. And that was uh, 
beginning to my athletic journey, but also I felt great about myself. It felt great to accomplish something. It felt great to see that when you invest in something like like your health, like working out, and for me, health was just being fast enough to be faster than someone else, it paid back tenfold. Like the dividends were amazing. It was a huge, and, and, I, was, and I was hooked after that. I can't say I knew, like, I, my interest and knowledge of, like, healthy foods and other lifestyle things didn't happen until much later. But in terms of exercise and working out, like, I was hooked. Seventh grade, 13. It was a done deal. So where did that take you from there? I mean, going through high school, college, and even up into today would have been uh, maybe even some of the defining moments, if you would, like, just, okay, because you said you started off, and it started off just that working out part, but eating right, other things just came along the way. So what were some of those other things and maybe just other highlights up until today? So I guess, and I'm obviously not like a pro athlete or anything, but like tasting <laughs> a little tasting a little success athletically um, and seeing how much I felt better about myself, um, how it helped me in all other like parts of the day and aspects of my life, um, really got me hooked. Now, I'm not an athlete anymore. Like, I don't play sports competitively. And I don't know how competitive I am as a person. I found that out later in life, too, as I got into college sports and things like that. I kind of realized that I wasn't super competitive. But what I did love was weightlifting. And I think that's because, and particularly exercise, is just such a personal, like, you don't need to be competitive with another person to make gains. In fact, that's part of the reason I like working out so much is it has nothing to do with anyone else. And Just it's a um, competition with yourself more? Yeah. Like, in the best gyms that I've been a part of, it has nothing to do with competition amongst each other working out. The best gyms that I've ever been in, the best energy, the most positive, have mm-hmm. always had to do with how, how can you compete with yourself? How can you push yourself? How can I help you push yourself? And sometimes I feel like gyms can go down a weird path when it goes the mm-hmm. other way. But for me, that's that's what I love about about exercise. And um, there's something about like you could play, say like you 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 play basketball last weekend at the, at whatever at the local court. You have a good day. You have a bad day. Maybe you do well, but you don't know how the other guy was feeling that day. You don't know. You don't know like what your competition is. But there's something unique about like a dumbbell is 50 pounds every day. Like it's 50 <laughs> that if it's 50 pounds last week, the week before, next week, and it's always going to be like an accurate judge of where you're at. It's something like super. Um, it's like a super consistent evaluator, which I like. So now, how do you use that? I guess in your daily life now, how do you implement the exercise and even that competition with yourself, maybe in the gym but outside of the gym to help further push you as as a person? For me, exercise, I don't know if it pushes me as it pushes me in other areas of my life. It does make me feel like my whole self. It makes me feel great to do whatever it is that I am in the other aspects of my life. For me, like working out now is not like a it's not like a means to an end. Like I'm not working out so that I can make the starting wrestling like the starting wrestling lineup. 
course, so mm-hmm. I can win, you know, first place in the tournament. Um, for me, like, exercise has really transformed into a bit of, like, a meditative practice. Like, for me, um, I'm involved just as much psychologically as I am physically. And, Mark, one of the reasons, and I want everybody to know this, too, that I had you on here, too, was creativity aspect of life. Uh, and I'm interested yep. in how you implement creativity in your life, but uh, since we're on the topic, the topic of exercise, do you do that in the gym as well at all? Do I do what? Am I creative it, in the gym? Yeah. Do you use uh, any creativity in the gym, or is it more just outside? And, like, what outside of the gym, just in life in general, do you really do to implement that? So in terms of creativity, um, I'm not – so I'm, I don't – I'm not an expert. I'm not, um, like, a classically trained exer- – like, an exercise, right? Um, mm-hmm. I kind of look at – I kind of look at exercise plans and routines the same way I look at, um, like, fixing the plumbing in your toilet. <laughs> it's like um, – like, um, if my if, – if, if, if my sink wasn't working, I wouldn't try to fix it myself. I'd – I'd find a really good plumber, mm-hmm. and I'd hire and I'd hired him to fix it for me, and I'd be involved in the process, and I'd be be looking at reviews, and I'd be you know going back and forth him on what my personal preference is. But in the end, I'm going to trust the expertise of the plumber. Now, in the same way <laughs> that I approach, I like it. Right, right, right. In the same way that I approach ex- exercise, like I'm not out there training myself. I'm not creating my own exercise regimens. Um, I think it's so valuable to have a coach in terms of it's a, it, it, someone who spends their day getting expertise in something that you want to be involved in. Like, I think that's so valuable. And and so many people take, like, a – and, and it, there's a case for that, too, but, like, a, a, a DIY approach, like a do-it-yourself approach to fitness – which is mm-hmm. which is cool and, and like you talk about um installs some some creativity but for for me I'm looking for other guys who are doing really neat stuff or other programs that are doing really neat stuff that that looks creative and to me no that makes sense because I, no and I I love the analogy there and the way that you went about showing that because if if you're implementing your own, if you're creating your own and you're getting the results you want, fine. Probably not a big deal. But if anything's off track, you said, if it's maybe the only reason your sink's leaking is because you didn't tighten uh, just the faucet all the way, okay, well, you could figure that out, something simple. But if it's something big that you need to implement in your life, and really exercise, I think, should be a pretty big part of most people's lives, then, yeah, going to somebody who deals with that on a daily basis, and that's what they do. Uh, I like that. That's that's probably a pretty good way to go about that. And, like, it's not simple stuff. Like, if somebody somebody has a Ph.D. in something you're interested in, chances are you shouldn't do it entirely yourself. Like, (laughs) like, people, like, really study this stuff. It's, like, important stuff. And if it's important enough for you to want to be involved in to, like, improve your life, you should, you know, ask around. I like it. Well, then, okay, for me, oh, go ahead, go ahead. So, like, you're you're obviously a physical therapist, so you have a really unique approach to exercise, right? Because mm-hmm. it's part of your profession, you're part of your professional background. For me, right. 
I, I'm a social worker. The part that I take a lot of ownership in implementing into um, my my exercise regimen is like mindfulness practice. Like that's that's a part that I take ownership over and how it it helps me basically reset my brain, keep me keep me focused for the rest of the day, and things like that. That's something that I take in for my own like life expertise into into my exercise regimen. Now, where does Going back even that, let's talk about the creativity a little bit because that's still something that intrigues me. So maybe not so much with the exercise, but where did that come through uh, in the rest of your life? How do you let creativity, how do you express yourself? So I I guess I've always been really interested in just creative, um, just art. Um, in college, you know, when you knew me, I was a creative writing major. and. Mm-hmm poetry background in undergrad. Um, always loved, um, or I've gotten a lot more into in the last like decade or so, painting, drawing. And, and I'm by no means um, an expert, but it's been an awesome way to express myself, exercise parts of your brain that um, just don't get used in everyday, in everyday life. So how do I squeeze that into my day? Um, yeah. I used to love writing. Um, writing's a really um, isolated activity. So if you're like a out-and-about person and engage with your community and engage with your work and family life and friends, it's hard to squeeze in some time to uh, really be alone. There's a reason there's not a lot of movies about writers because <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a dude sitting at a typewriter, you know, typing for 20 minutes, then he goes and sits on the couch for an hour, and then he goes back to it. It's like, it's it's very it's very solitary. Um, painting, though, is something that I've gotten into a lot more recently. Um, in the last maybe five or six, maybe more than that, um, years, it's something that you can do around people that you don't need, like a calm environment. Maybe even um, uh, like a disruptive environment encourages creative expression, and it's a lot more interactive with the world around you and like I, I yeah, you, someone can come in and out of the house and it doesn't like ruin your whole process. And it's something that you can pick up and put down. Like for, I know for creative people to find time to do work, um, it's hard because it's like a, usually a huge chunk of time, but painting is something you can pick up and put down. You can come back a week later, two weeks later, and you know, you can do bits and pieces, 30 minutes, an hour, two hours. So that's been, um, that's kind of my release. And it's, you don't need to be great at it for it to be fun. So. I like it. I like it. Now, did you do any specific type of painting? I mean, I know there's watercolor or acrylics. Uh, I'm sure there's so many others I'm not really even sure on. Um, I stick to acrylic. I stick to acrylics because oil, you need a studio um, just because of the way things like scents and, and all that. And because watercolor, my hand, I am... <laughs> I have a very loose hand. Like in painting, you say you have a tight hand or a loose hand, and I'm like all over the place. And and watercolor is a very delicate, delicate application. So acrylic okay. allows you to make mistakes and mess up and paint over again. So and you can do <laughs> acrylic, and you can do them anywhere. Like I live in a one-bedroom apartment, I can do acrylics in the house and and not worry about fumes making me pass out. Um, Helpful. So, so yeah, I do, and I do, 
I don't know. I do all sorts of weird collages and things like that. And people come into the house and usually get some sort of reaction. They're looking at it. No, is this a collage of uh, paintings, pictures, just things you cut out, like and just kind of paste up on a board, a wall? I love doing portraits. I love doing portraits. Um, lately, I've been doing like these weird half human, half animal drawings. And um, <laughs> just going to going to a weird place that you wouldn't go otherwise, which is important. <laughs> All right, so now I'm 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 intrigued by this, Mark. And do you have any connection with the humans or the animals that you draw? Like whether it's a, a human that you've interacted with, or maybe like a power animal or something like that for you? No, um, I guess. Um, I guess my interest is in, um, well, obviously I have, like, a writing background. There's this um, genre of fiction called um, magical realism. Okay. And it's just, like, um, magical realism is, like, basically a combination of, like, magic and reality. Like, um, like a lot, of the, a lot of the genre centers around, like, what if we took this one, like, magical thing and inserted it into reality, and let's roll with that narrative. Um, okay. This guy, Jorge Luis Borges from uh, from uh, South America, who kind of like invented this genre, and his stories are about these like weird things. Like uh, he has this story about like uh, an angel like falling to the ground and just like landing into a town, and like take that narrative, take that scene, and just go with it. Like see where it goes. I won't tell you the story or ruin the ending, but like it's like. So a lot of my drawings are just like, all right, what, 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 what if a guy had four eyes and bunny ears? <laughs> like, and, like, and, we'll, and I mean, I mean, I'm looking at, I'm looking at that right now. <laughs> so like, uh, could we maybe um, get a picture of that, like to put in the show notes? Maybe uh, I will send you a picture, and that can be like the, uh, that can be the tag. Excellent. Everybody has to make sure to check out uh, show notes there to uh, see that one because I think it's going to be a pretty amazing picture. I'm, I'm excited to check it out myself. <laughs> no, so, yeah, what? magical I'm, realism. Look it well, up. And I'm going to definitely have to check that out because I'm intrigued by this. Uh, but I love how you're going, like you said, it's thinking out of the box. It's, it's before, as you said before, it's using that part of the brain that you're just not used to doing. I mean, some people are just so left brain or so right brain. Like they're never getting that integration. And I think that integration is just so important for brain health and just being able to stay sharp mentally with age. Uh, have you seen this? And because I want to talk about them getting into like some of the social work aspects, but just in general, have you seen any of that like with what you do where if people are just so one-sided that they can't really uh, integrate like and, and stay healthy mentally going forward? So I think you're... You're absolutely right that, and it's hard just to stay creative as you age, right? Because so many other demands are put upon your life. Um, you make a hard, it's a hard um, argument for why you should be allowed to paint for two hours on a Saturday rather than do the 20 other things the important people in your life are asking you to do, right? So it becomes more of a challenge as you old as you as you age, and I think everyone can identify with that. And I think you're absolutely right in the in the importance, you know. And I'm, 
I'm guessing you've looked at this too, a lot of the new research uh, in terms of like our brain development, it talks about how if you, and this is a phrase, if you don't use it, you lose it. And mm-hmm. once you stop, once you stop using those creative um, parts of your brain, it's really hard to re-energize them later in your life. Like it's just like a muscle, it gets it gets weaker, but it gets progressively weaker as you as you age. So I guess that's why it's in, it's so important for me to try to find ways to do that. And and I'm like you talked about left brain and right brain. I'm kind of like a in a weird spot where I'm not ambidextrous, right? But I, mm-hmm. I do something. I do some things as a lefty and some things in, as a righty. So it's like, and I see how that like weird. Um, there's like a weird convergence in my life too, of like organization and like absolute chaos. And like some parts of my life, I'm like total chaos. So that's pretty cool. No, and that's you just said some things that like I'd never thought of too. Uh, you said you're not really ambidextrous, but you'll do certain things. Like ambidextrous, I guess, truly would just be you can do most things with either either hand, and it's not really a big deal. But yeah, no. Want, so like ambidextrous, okay. they're like really fluid, really fluid between like different areas of your life. But I'm like very, it's like very black and white. Like and it and it shows up in when I'm like playing sports or writing. Like some sports I'm a lefty, some sports I'm a righty. It's like super weird. And then in some parts of my life I'm like super chaotic, and some parts of my life I'm like very retro. Cool. Uh, so I want to go into uh, some of what it is that you do because I know, like you said, you're a social worker, but give us an understanding of what you really do as a social worker because I know vaguely what it is, but kind of give us the breakdown of what you have to be able to do on your daily basis. <laughs> that's a that's a great question. So yeah, I am a I'm, I am a social worker. I'm an oncology social worker at a at a local Boston hospital. And you're you're not alone in your confusion about what social work is <laughs> and what social work is do. Because we do so many different things, so people people get confused. Social workers can do a lot of things. They can specialize in different facets of like counseling or therapy, like um, and they can get very very minute, like into different modalities of therapy, like CBT or narrative or psychodynamic, or they can work with like very specific populations, like criminal justice or child welfare, or, or like serious mental illness, but so they work as counselors. Social workers also do a lot in research, and they also do a lot of, like, community work and social justice and advocacy. So they do everything from very, very micro to very, very macro. But I guess and under the umbrella of mental health, right, mm-hmm. what, what sets social work apart from people probably asking, well, how is that different than, like, a psychiatrist or a psychologist? So what sets social work apart from, like, other mental health professions is, we, well, we have, a, our professional, we have a professional mandate to be committed to basically fulfilling the needs and empowering people who are vulnerable and oppressed and, um, and, and living in poverty. So that's how we're different from psychiatry, from, from these other mental health professions. Is we, like I, said, I have a mandate to be working with those most in need. And also, uh-huh. you know, when you're talking about psychiatry, you're talking about the biological aspects of mental health, right? Um, in psychology, you're looking at 
how cognitive schemas impact mental health. In social work, um, we're really interested in looking at the whole person. And what I mean by that is like um, how your internal identity is impacted and interacts with your environment, whether that environment is your family, your friend group, your neighborhood, your town, your country, um, your race. Uh, it, it can go as from like as micro as you want to as macro as you want. And that's, that's why I like social work is because it has a really great real-world application, and it's very, um, very holistic compared to other mental health professions. Okay, so I knew you said you work at an oncology center. Like, what got you into yeah. the oncology aspect? And I guess how micro or macro are you on some of these scales with what you do? <laughs> so I kind of fell into oncology, to be honest with you. I graduated um, from social work school, and I was really – I was really interested in working as a social worker in healthcare, um, and oncology just happened to be the job that I got. Um, the reason I was interested in healthcare social work is because social work, the application of social work to healthcare is just so unique, right? As I guess as I'm talking about, remember, like I talked about how social work has like a just interested in treating the whole person. Mm-hmm. So in, in medical care is getting so much more complex. Like there's so many specializations. I mean, when you think of how many providers you have just to treat you or how many specialists you might see over the course of a year or two, um, there's such a need in, in health care to have a profession set aside as looking at the whole person and looking at the person in that medical environment. And that's how social work um, is special. Now, oncology social work is really cool because we're looking at, like, long-term illness, and that's a really interesting – or, I'm sorry, chronic illness, where that's a really changing area in healthcare as well. So oncology is, is, is a place where social work is really flourishing and making an impact. So what are some of – what are some of the biggest things or biggest challenges I guess you've had uh, maybe for yourself but also for those that you're really trying to help? Like, are there, whether it be with the healthcare, whether it just be the mental aspect, I'm, I'm not really sure uh, where you see that. Like, what are the hardest things that you have to deal with on a daily basis? So I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Good question. I don't know if I actually made it clear. So I work as a counselor in a hospital with, in an inpatient setting with people who have cancer. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm, meet, I'm meeting with people in the hospital um, and counseling them, uh, trying to be a source of support for whatever's going on. Now, I meet, okay. might be meeting with people who are finding out that day that they have a cancer diagnosis. Um, you know, you come in for into the hospital for shortness of breath or, um, you know, a couple other things, and then you find out you have cancer. Um, so I might be meeting people at that point in their life. Um, I might be meeting people um, during the dips and valleys of their cancer treatment, whether it's surgery or chemotherapy or radiation, and they might be having setbacks, and I'll meet with them there. Or I might be meeting with them at um, their end-of-life stage, right, um, what what are the things that you talk about when there's no more cancer treatment available? So that's what I'm doing in the hospital every day. 
I'm meeting, okay. I'm meeting patients, I'm meeting families, and I'm talking about this. What's the hardest thing to deal with? For me personally, and I think this, this would be true whether I was a social worker or any other profession, it's, it's definitely self-care. Self-care and um, ma- managing burnout and managing a work-life balance. When you're a social worker, or and when you're, um, help, you know, if you work in healthcare, you, you're some sort of helping profession, right? You, you right. got into the, you got into the profession for whatever reason or another because you wanted to improve other people's lives. And when you spend your days doing that, it's really hard to carve out time for yourself. Super hard. It's probably my biggest. My biggest challenge and, and one of the things it's hard to do well at. How have you gone about uh, at least trying to carve out some of that time or just make time for that work-life balance or whatever it might be that you really want to still be able to do in your life? Um, you know, um, and it's so funny because these are the things that I talked about to my patients a lot. <laughs> and... Um, Practice what you preach is such a uh, a hard thing to do. How do I do it? You know, I'm 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 also so like I'm I'm also a student. I'm get I'm, I go to school part time, getting my MBA, and I'm also involved in a bunch of professional organizations. And I'm in those I'm involved in those things because I love them. So it's hard to when your day is full, filled with awesome stuff that's really that's challenging, but really invigorating. It's hard to put it down. It'd be different if I hated my job, I hated what I was doing it when I got out of work, you know, I hated where the, the city I lived in, there was nothing fun to do there. When when there's so many things that you want to put on your plate that taste really good, it's hard to, like, carve out some space for yourself. So, <laughs> so I wouldn't say my – one thing I would say is accepting that, you know, you want to you wanna get it. In every area of your life, you want to be, we're going to talk about, like, earning a letter grade, like earning an A. You want to be an A-plus husband. You want to be an A-plus employee. You want to be an A-plus dad, an A-plus practitioner. Um, you got to realize that you're not going to be an A at everything all the time. It's just impossible. And that's something I'm trying to realize. And um, a lot of the most important roles are not the ones I get paid for. So... Um, you know, those are the trying to reorient yourself to what's important. And I'm not, I'm not preaching from a pulpit. That is something that I'm trying to work on myself. So, Mark, it sounds like you you just absolutely love and are just very passionate about everything that you're involved with. But it still seems to, at the end of the day, I guess take maybe a mental toll. And let me know if I'm off here. But how do you then go about maybe? keeping your mind right or getting your mind right to go at it the next day? Is it is some of it that painting and being able to use that mindfulness there or in the gym? Or is there anything else that you use to really help you stay strong uh, so that you wake up, feet hit the floor, and you're just ready to go the next day? Um, good question. Um, you know, I think most helpful is carving out time for the stuff that you think is important. Like I said, easier said than done and super hard for people who are really interested in what they're doing. Um, For me, one of the things that I do is I make sure, like for the things that I am interested in that are are 
that are like um, oriented to my profession, I try to make sure they balance each other out. In my work, I do a lot of micro work, right? I'm working directly with individuals doing clinical counseling. And that's super energizing for me. And it brings me a lot of joy. It's also, um, it can feel kind of drowning a little bit, right? Because there's always going to be someone having an issue the next day. Um, there always will be a new problem. And it, you can sometimes feel like you're fighting the tide a bit. Um, and that's, I think, a problem that a lot of individual clinicians face. So for me, I also try to try to balance that outside of work with a lot of macro work. And I'm doing work in, like, um, legislative policies, um, a lot of work with business administration, macro things that affect a ton of people and bring some of the clinical work that I'm doing individually to scale. And for me, they kind of counteract each other. They kind of they bring some synergy that makes one refreshing to the other. I'm curious about, because I, I think it was something that you had sent me, is it narrative therapy that you do then? Like, is that, is that more that micro work where that's what you do when you're working with your patients then? Um, narrative therapy. You know, actually, narrative therapy, when you asked how I find, um, how I instill creativity into into my life, um, yeah. narrative therapy is actually like a, a really creative practice. Because um, so like I, I know we had gone back and forth on that a little bit. Would you mind like expanding on what narrative therapy is a little bit? Because I, it's one of those like like social work. I know a little bit about it, but I really don't know much more than the very uh, surface level stuff on that. No, so so for people who aren't familiar with counseling, like um, you know, not all counseling is the same. Um, just like um, maybe a little more approachable topics like exercise. There's different different theoretical models to exercise, right? Would you For say sure. that's correct? Or yeah. or even the stuff, the work you do in PT or holistic health. Um, yeah. Just like there's different iterations in those barriers, there's different iterations in counseling. Um, narrative therapy is a... The idea of narrative therapy, it's a, so it's a, it's a modality, it, it's basically the story we tell ourselves about our own lives. It's our life narrative. And every day you're walking around with this narrative about who you are. And you you create that narrative by connecting all these different dots in your life. Like if you if you look at a picture of a whiteboard, right? And then just take a take a marker and just write a thousand dots, right? Mm-hmm. Now now take it now connect like connect the dots connects like 10 dots. You know, you draw a line, it connects 10 dots. Now, right there, there's a narrative. There's a narrative where you took 10 events in your life, you connected them in a certain way, to create this narrative about how you'll, you are a great dad. And that's a really positive narrative, right? Mm-hmm. And that's really empowering and it makes you feel good about yourself. Now, people come to counseling because they're embracing these really negative narratives. You can just as easily, maybe... Take 10 dots, connect them, 10 events in your life, about how you're a terrible dad. You know, the difference is, the difference is what are you embracing? What are you reinforcing? What are you, what are you trying to pr- 
what are the narratives that you're trying to prioritize in your life. And it's cool because it's basically like story making. So you, I meet with people, and a big part of what I'm talking about with them is what is the story of their lives? What is the story they tell, tell themselves? And if, it's, if there's parts of it that are positive and empowering, I try, we try to emphasize those and build off of them. If there's parts of them that are not, we try to find a new, a new set of dots, a, a, new, a new game of Connect the Dots to find a way that we can change that story. That's the simplified version of how I approach counseling with my patients and, I, and um, what I'm trying to do with them. It's creative in that, you know, um, I always wanted to be a writer. I, I grew up lo- loving books. I, lo- I loved reading. I went to college um, as a poetry major. Um, I never became, you know, the next Ernest Hemingway. But, not but yet, I do. Not yet. Not yet. But, <laughs> but I do... I do find myself crafting stories with people, and it's super exciting. Um, and it's creative in a similar way. Um, so that's that's why maybe maybe that's what draws me to narrative practice. And I think it is in a weird way how I a, a, a great creative outlet for me. And the stories are you know I'm not writing a bestseller, but the stories are important in that. You know, you're doing really important work with collaborating with people who are trying to change your lives. And that's that's really, really special. So I've had a few guests on the show who have had serious bouts with cancer and they've overcome them. And oftentimes, at least good from uh, the experience that I've had with the, the few guests that have been on the show, uh, it's been a really, truly uh, blessing. Uh, where they took that, and, and I'm asking if this is kind of where you try and go with this, is their narrative, from my understanding, is, all right, I I, I got this, I figured it out, it, it was a teacher showing me something, and I learned from it, and I've moved on. Is that part of what you do? Like, Because cancer, I'm sure, is going to be a crushing blow. Like you said, you're seeing people who might just walk in one day to the hospital, has that, I think you said, like shortness of breath, uh, chest pains, whatever it might be, and they walk out and say, I have cancer. Like, what the hell? Uh, is, is that where you try and turn it so that it can have that positive shift in their lifetime? I think I think um, call, calling the fact that you've cured cancer a victory is going to be a slippery slope for anyone because it's mm-hmm. not going to be, that's not going to be the reality for everyone. You know, my narrative approach cancer is a lot of the times is is undoing a lot of the narratives that people have about cancer coming into treatment it's because the way cancer is spoken about in everyday life and in pop culture and in the media is really really different than the actual experience you know I'll, I'll give you two examples is um, the way the way cancer is portrayed in movies um, mm-hmm. You know, when you think about, I'm trying to think of uh, some movies, um, some famous movies with cancer. Um, maybe like, uh, have you ever seen Stepmom with Susan Sarandon, I think it's called? 
you know, in movies, in movies and TV, movie. in movies and TV, how how is cancer portrayed? It's portrayed as um, well, you lose your hair. Yeah, it always happens. Um, and you you usually like um, it's incredibly fatal. Like you, the person looks great. Everybody's dying within the next week, basically. The sec the second day they lose their hair, and the third day they're in a hospital bed. Like that's that's the narrative in pop culture and movies, and it's so different in um, in real life. You don't you don't always lose your hair. A lot of people live for 15, 20 years with cancer, um, going into remission, relapsing, um, going back into remission. Um, a lot of people uh, have a bout with cancer, and then they and then they do their their yearly scans, and then after five, six years, they stop. They never revisit it again. So the cancer experience is so unique to each individual. Um, and that's a lot of what I talk about with patients who are brand new. Uh, another analogy that I find myself doing a lot again, uh, a lot of undoing, is um, that that phrase and that narrative: your fight with cancer, right? Your fight with cancer. Mm-hmm. That's how I, you fought cancer and won. Of that, you know, and it's hard to pull that out of your that terminology out of your language, but that's I. I find with the people that I work with that that's such a that's such a contradicting, conflicting analogy to live with. Because when you think about cancer, like it's inside. Like I'm not a I'm not obviously not a physician, but cancer is your own your own cells. It's part of you, and to to embrace that that narrative, that terminology for a lot of people, just a doesn't ring true, and and b brings on a lot of additional pain. So there's, those are just two examples of, um, of how narrative practice kind of finds its way and, and, and applicable to, I think, a lot of people would understand. Yeah, for sure. That makes uh, actually a whole lot more sense to me. And thank you for the analogies because that, that just helps to paint that picture and make just all this much more clear. Uh, Mark, I, I'm curious. What right now are you just geeking out on? Is there anything that you are just like, I haven't really studied before, but you're just so interested in uh, and can't stop either reading about, learning about, to diving into right now. Um, so I guess what's one of the things I'm really interested in? Um, you know, I, I spent the whole weekend writing a, or reading about, uh, you know, like healthcare, uh, like wearable technology, like wearable yeah. patches. Yeah, and things like absolutely. That. Um, so... Reading, I spent the whole weekend reading about those actually for school, but it's super interesting. And part one of one of the things I'm really interested in is um, public health. Like, mm-hmm. not uh, there's so much cool technology out there. There's so many amazing things happening in biotech. Um, but one of the big things that I always ask myself is, um, especially as a social worker. And someone who's committed to helping those um, most in need is, well, who is this technology going to serve, right? Mm-hmm. Is it going to help? The, it, how is it going to help everybody? How is it going to impact the common good? Um, you know, a, an amazing, you know, even an amazing can- new cancer drug is only as helpful as it helps everybody, right? If, mm-hmm. if you can't afford it. 
and it doesn't matter how crazy. It is. And some of the, right? And some of the cool stuff and and that's super applicable to cancer drugs, but some of the cool stuff happening with uh healthcare wearables that people are super excited about and think is gonna change the world. I'm really interested in how is that gonna be done cheaply or incentivized so that our people who are experiencing the most um chronic healthcare issues, particularly our, our people um um, who are below the poverty line, how how is all this change and innovation going to help them? And um, healthcare wearables are super interesting because um, a lot of healthcare organizations and employers and insurance programs are interested in um, incentivizing them to use with, with patients um, as like a preventative health. Like mm-hmm. uh, people don't know, what, if people don't know what healthcare wearables are, they're, um, I'm interested in the patches. I don't know if you've seen some of the patches and stuff well, like that. Well, no. Please explain, like, some of the ones that you've been researching, uh, looking at, so that everybody kind of has – we're all on the same page, if you will. So wearables are, like um, – they're basically, like, um, they're just gathering data on you, whether it's mm-hmm. your heart rate, um, all, all, all the important data on you, and they can kind of – they can shoot it to your, to your provider. So if you're talking about, like, preventative health, like preventing uh, preventing a heart attack or um, preventing a stroke or things like that, a wearable can actually, like, track what's going on with you internally. And um, this is kind of, like, the latest innovation um, that, they're, that they're looking at. And they, they like, they use, like, a, like a patented algorithm mm-hmm. to see what's going on, what's going on in your, in what, what feedback you're giving and, they can actually be alerted when you're at risk for something happening, call you in, take care of it, or help you make whatever better lifestyle changes or, you know, um, behavioral decisions better so that they're no longer at risk. So it's super, healthcare wearables are super interesting to me in that they have the potential to start proactive conversations with people outside of the hospital before they get really sick, before they get really unhealthy, and healthcare organizations and employers are really interested in incentivizing that for people because it actually saves them money. I love where you went with that, and I still have to play uh, devil's advocate. And as I said before, uh, a comedian explained to me that that just means I'm going to be an asshole here. And so what I'm curious, Mark, though, is, okay, so I like that, okay, a healthcare provider, somebody like that can be given this, but... Are insurance companies going to get in on this and then start charging different premiums for different people based on what they do? Uh, and are, are other organizations going to be tracking this? Uh, that's kind of what I'm curious about is almost that uh, big brother, if you will, like all of society have an eye on them with how they're doing physically. Right, 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 right. So personal health information, um, PHI, is super important, right? And yeah. uh, the privacy and um, the, uh, of that information and the, the depersonalization of it when it gets used for research and things like that is super important and getting increasingly hard to do um, as, as as technology kind of expands, right? Right. At, at the same time, at the same time, um, your personal health information is so crucial 
especially when you have so many different providers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the ability of all of them to be able to see what's happening to you and what different interventions they're using to see for like say, to see what different what's happening to you collectively is so valuable in terms of keeping you healthy and so important to know by the time you get to the hospital it's almost too late like whatever the bad stuff mm-hmm. happens it's so physicians value so much what's going on outside the hospital and this is kind of like a side note um Payment models are changing for healthcare and for insurance, insurance payers, where they they profit by keeping you out of the hospital, whereas before um, they profited by you getting sick. Like when you, yeah, I don't know if you've heard of the term like fee for service. Absolutely. Um, so for people who don't know, like fee for service is basically a term in health. Like um, if I get a cut and you put a uh, you put a Band-Aid on it, that's a service, and I charge you a fee. Now, if I get 10 cuts and you put 10 Band-Aids, how many times do you charge me? What is it? Yeah, the answer is 10. <laughs> the answer is 10, Nick. I, I but, so, 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 so that's how hospitals have always historically made money, right? If I get right. sick, I come in. You, now, now, and uh, we could go into the weeds, which we don't have to. I'll keep it simple, but now... The way hospitals are getting paid is you get cut you get cut once I get paid that one time and now it's my job to make sure that you don't get cut again. So hospitals are paid to keep you healthy. If you if you come in for a second cut, that's on the hospital's dime. So hospitals are super interested in these healthcare wearable apps so that they can track what's going on with you out in the community. And a change like that, a shift like that in healthcare is just going to, I mean, it's going to, it's revolutionizing. Like, there's there's no other way to put it. Like, everything is changing very drastically with that because, as you said, it's, you're not getting paid 10 times for that. You can't afford to do it anymore. So something else has to change then, too, and that prevention, that's a fantastic well, way to go about it. Like, all the technology is really exciting, and, um, you know, I've, I've listened to some awesome guests on your podcast talk about how technology, biotech's going to change it, but really, um, a lot of the research on what makes people, uh, keeps people healthy points to, primarily, their decision-making, like your behavior, um, the choice, the lifestyle choices that you make is such a more powerful indicator of what your health status is than the quality of your doctor, the quality of the the machine that you're using, like the whatever machine they're using in the hospital to work on you. So much of that is uh, that, that drives your health status is decision-making. And physicians are increasingly and healthcare organizations are increasingly aware of that and want to start that conversation with patients outside, outside the hospital. Wearables are so valuable in that they can help start that conversation and monitor it. I love it. I love it. This is this has been uh, actually rather eye-opening for me, Mark. So I, I certainly appreciate that. Uh, we're already going for an hour here. This has been an awesome talk. So one of the last questions I ask everybody who comes on the show is, who do you want to hear on this podcast? 
And what is it that you would either want to ask them specifically or just hear them talk about? Um, you know, you do, you've had some awesome guests, by the way. I just want to say, I just want to say some of the past couple of guests you've been, I've been like, you've had, I've been riveted. And it's, and for people who have listened to this podcast over time, um, it's been so cool to like watch you do your thing. You've really come a long way just in terms of, um, this podcast and, and some of the guests you've had lately have been so interesting. Um, I guess one of the things that I'm interested in lately is, um, have you heard of, like, functional strength training? Yes. Like, basically, like, like I, I'm I'm super interested in what people have to say about that and, and how you can be stronger for your everyday life. I, I that's, that's something that's, because I'm, Right there's a difference between tra- training for an athlete and and train and training to be strong in your everyday life, and that's that's something that's an expertise that I want to hear a lot more about. Okay, very good, very good. Anything in particular that you would want to hear somebody talk about with that? Any aspects of life? Any 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 part on that function? Um, injury prevention is super cool. Um, do you want like a you want to you want to like specific person that I'd like you to talk to? If you have, if there's somebody that you follow that you really just want to hear more about, for sure. Oh, um, Mike Boyle's a really cool guy. Um, here in Massachusetts, who does a lot of stuff with um, um, functional strength training, and um, there's just some really cool conversations going on around him and what he's doing. For sure, I'll have to uh, reach out to him see, see what he has to say on the topic. Uh, so, Mark, in closing, where where can the listeners find more about you? Just what you're doing, uh, checking out anything that you do, if there's anywhere that you have to send them to? Um, so I, and we, we jumped over, like we talked about a ton of stuff. I So people just, I'm on oncology social worker. Uh, I'm also a healthcare MBA candidate, so I'm getting my master's right now after work um, in business administration and that. I do a lot of advocacy work around political legislation for a lot, and some stuff with health policy as part of this group called NASW PACE, where we like find um, candidates that support social work values, and um, and we try to help them get elected and endorse them. So that's a bunch of stuff. Um, if people wanted to find me to talk about it, um, I'm on LinkedIn. Mark Anthony Tiano, you can find me, and we'll talk. Well, thank you, Mark. I will, I will certainly put up uh, links to, to both of those. If anybody's interested, go check it out. Uh, talk to and Mark. My, and my, uh, yeah, and my painting of uh, a four-eyed man with bunny ears. And we're What's certainly going to ask everybody to get naked help, uh, podcast.com. Uh, <laughs> check that out. I'm, that might have to turn into the homepage. Yes, if, if this is good, this is going to be uh, pretty amazing picture. I'm excited to check this out. So, Mark, thank you again uh, for for your time, listeners. Uh, I hope you guys got a lot of takeaways for this, for the wearables, for the just really learning how to use creativity in your life. So, Mark, thank you once again. Nick, thank you. This podcast is awesome. So, thanks for all the great listens. It's been it's been a pleasure. Absolutely.
Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to head over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to check out the show notes for today's episode. While you're there, go to my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and the show is sponsored by you guys. Each of you that I work with helps me to be able to put out podcasts like this for free. So thanks again for your love and support. Finally, if the show has helped you out in any way, please head over to iTunes to give the Bare Naked Health podcast a positive comment and five-star rating. This really goes a long way in getting the word out with how simple health can be and helping to share the podcast with others. So thank you. Mm-hmm.